From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Approximately one in eight women will be diagnosed with invasive breast cancer in their lifetime. Here with me in the HealthLink on Air studio to talk about this disease is Dr. Ranjana Sharma, the Chief of Breast Surgery and Medical Director of the Breast Cancer Program at Upstate. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Sharma. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Let's start by talking about the odds for the average woman being diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, sure. As you mentioned, uh, for the average woman in her lifetime, the risk is one in eight uh, will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, and for men, the risk is one in 800 to be diagnosed with breast cancer. So who is most likely to get breast cancer? Are there risk factors? Uh, certainly. So, you know, most times when we see breast cancer clinically, it's in patients who are in their late 50s uh, into their 60s and early 70s. But there are also women in their 30s and 40s getting breast cancer. And many times that's due to significant family history or potentially a genetic mutation. So family history, um, are we concerned only about other members of the family that have breast cancer or are there other cancers that we need to be aware of? So we're concerned about uh, more so first-degree relatives with breast cancer. So a mother, a sister, or a daughter with breast cancer uh, can increase your risk of developing it yourself. However, also other cancers in the family, such as ovarian cancer and pancreatic cancer, can be thought to run on uh, certain genetic um, uh, syndromes. And so if you had a family history with those types of cancers also involved, we would be more concerned from a genetic standpoint. Um, but just to mention that the genetic aspect of breast cancer only only uh, up to 10% of patients who have breast cancer have a genetic mutation, so it's not very common uh, in the general population. But for the specific you know, types of um, patients that we were just talking about, those are the cancers we would look at. So for the majority of women then that get breast cancer, there is no genetic Correct. Reason. It's considered sporadic, meaning you know there was um, something that just went wrong in the cells and thus a tumor developed, and many times that's related to the aging process. Is there anything, I mean, we can't change how we're aging, but is there anything we can do that reduces our risk? Yes, there are certainly modifiable lifestyle and dietary um, suggestions that we can offer. So from the standpoint of diet, we recommend a diet low in fat uh, to decrease the risk of breast cancer. From the standpoint of exercise, we recommend having um, adequate cardiovascular exercise three times a week, approximately 30 minutes or so of uh, cardiovascular exercise. Um, other things that we can talk about too are um, not to use um, tobacco products or other smoking-related uh, products. And then the last factor um, it involves use of alcohol. Uh, if a patient is not using alcohol at all, that's great. But for those that do, we recommend no more than three to five drinks per week. That's considered um, having alcohol in moderation. But more than that, it, you know, we would say may increase your risk for developing breast cancer. What do you recommend in terms of screening for breast cancer um, in mammograms? I know there's been talk in recent years about what age is appropriate to start your mammograms. In 2018, the American Cancer Society updated their screening recommendations. And so in terms of the recommendations currently, between the ages of 40 and 45, we recommend that women uh, talk with their clinicians and based on their personal history and their family history, determine when to start screening mammography. They would then have annual screening mammography uh, at least beginning by the age of 45 until the age of 55. Between the ages of 55 to 75, they could choose to have mammograms every year or every other year, again, based on personal history, family history, and a conversation with their clinician. After the age of 75, the thought is that women may continue having screening mammography as long as their life expectancy is at least 10 years. Okay. And so at that point, it's more of a, you know, an individualized or personalized conversation with their clinician. 
Now, there's different types of mammogram uh, availability. Does it matter which type you get? So you, there are um, a, there are newer types of mammograms um, that people refer to as a 3D mammogram, or the more technical term is um, a tomosynthesis-related uh, mammogram. And so they are thought to be better for assessing masses or asymmetries. But there are other abnormalities in the breast, such as calcifications, which either a two-dimensional or a three-dimensional mammogram will see just fine. So, you know, I think that it depends on what is offered at the center that you go to uh, for mammography. If you have the opportunity to have a 3D mammogram and would like to try it, I, I don't think it's a, I think it's a good, good idea to try that. However, you know, some patients are concerned because there's a little extra risk for radiation. And so from that standpoint, some women may prefer just a two-dimensional mammogram. Uh, the, the goal is to get a mammogram. And so whether it be a two-dimensional or three-dimensional, you know, either is fine. Now, I've heard the term um, that some women have dense breasts. Is there one type of mammogram that's better or worse for someone that has dense breasts? I would say that if someone does have dense breast tissue, a three-dimensional mammogram may be preferred, although a two-dimensional mammogram will still look at the tissue. The concern with dense breasts is that mammography, which is essentially x-rays, sometimes can't see through all of the tissue very well. So in those patients, uh, their clinician may recommend additional breast imaging in addition to their annual mammogram, uh, such as either a breast ultrasound or a breast MRI. So someone would still get a mammogram every year, but in addition, they may have an additional form of screening as well. Now, what about self-breast exams? Is that still a recommendation? So, you know, the the thought is that a self-breast exam, um, you know, can vary, uh, from patient to patient, you know, who's performing it, what time of the month they're performing it. Um, also, um, you know, are they remembering to perform it every month? And the, you know, the data has shown us that there's no survival benefit uh, to doing a self-breast exam. The benefit for breast health is to go to your clinician once a year and have a clinical exam as well as your um, annual breast imaging as recommended. So for our patients, if they would like to perform self-breast exam, we certainly don't discourage it. We um, apply the concept of knowing oneself. So if you know you're someone that has, you know, um, more dense breast tissue or more lumpy per se breast tissue, and that's the same exam you're getting every month, then, you know, that's very stable for you. If you noticed a change from one month to the next, that would be something you'd want to bring to your clinician's attention. But quite honestly, if you're getting your annual examination, you know, within the next few months, likely that would be picked up anyway. So the thought is, even though it may not improved survival, it may allow you to identify something just a little bit sooner, which, you know, certainly isn't, is, is reasonable to do. So we never discourage patients from doing the exam, but at the same time, it's not in place of having a clinical exam or annual screening. Okay. And they would be feeling for lumps or bumps or anything that's unusual, I guess, right? Yes, correct. So you would want to check for any lumps or bumps, any new masses. Um, you know, what's important is, does the mass feel round and smooth? Is it moving freely or is it more irregular and fixed? Uh, we would want to know if there were skin changes, you know, is there skin retraction? If there's um, redness overlying an area of the breast that's persistent and won't go away over time. Other things that we look for are nipple retraction, nipple discharge, so these are the findings on clinical exam that would be helpful for your clinician to know. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Ranjana Sharma, the Chief of Breast Surgery and Medical Director of the Breast Cancer Program at Upstate. So let's talk about how breast cancer is diagnosed. Once a woman has an 
abnormal mammogram? Or, or Where do you go from there? Sure. So there are two main uh, ways that breast cancer is diagnosed. One is, as you said, uh, through abnormal screening mammography. The other is by either a, a patient or a clinician feeling an abnormal uh, mass on the breast or seeing abnormal uh, skin changes or nipple changes. So one would be through mammography. The other would be through a clinical examination. In either instance, once an abnormality is detected, the next step is to get what we call diagnostic imaging. So this may involve additional mammographic views and an ultrasound targeted to the area. We're basically looking to see if we can see something inside in the tissues that we can do a needle biopsy for to establish a diagnosis. Uh, Then the next step would be uh, to have a needle biopsy performed. Uh, At Upstate, this is done in our radiology suite by our trained radiologists. Uh, They would take a sample of the tumor uh, for evaluation in our pathology lab. And once that evaluation was performed, we would know what the tissue uh, was. And if it was a breast cancer, move forward with maybe additional testing, maybe further imaging, and certainly a discussion about treatment options. Let me ask you how men typically learn they have breast cancer, because men men don't get mammograms. Um, Correct. So how do they find out if they have breast cancer? In men... The diagnosis is usually made on clinical examination. Either the patient or their clinician will feel essentially a mass in the breast that then undergoes further workup. Uh, Men can still have mammograms and ultrasounds, but as you mentioned, they don't have as much breast tissue. So it's it's the same type of study, but there's just not as much tissue that's being looked at per se. Uh, But we would still offer the same imaging workup and then proceed with a biopsy uh, to establish a diagnosis. Okay, so once you have the biopsy sample, you'll know whether it's cancer or not, or what type of cancer it is, right? Yes. Um, does it does it matter the size of the tumor? Does that inform any? Thing? Sure. the The size of the tumor would allow uh, your clinician to make recommendations regarding what treatment options may be available. Many times a patient will choose to have surgery first, and the size of the tumor may um, influence what type of surgical options may be available. Uh, But in this day and age, we also have the opportunity to consider trying to shrink a tumor down if it has certain features. And so some patients can have medical therapy first, either chemotherapy or endocrine therapy, which is a hormone-based pill therapy. And that will allow a tumor to shrink down and thus open up other surgical options that may have not been available initially. Once you um, have identified the tumor, how do you know whether the cancer has spread? We would uh, initially uh, evaluate the remainder of the breast tissue. Sometimes that's done with additional imaging, uh, such as a breast MRI. Uh, But we also check the lymph nodes. We do look at the lymph nodes on imaging, but more importantly, we check the lymph nodes at the time of surgery. The procedure is called a sentinel lymph node biopsy. We're looking for uh, the first few lymph nodes that drain the breast, removing a few lymph nodes at the time of your breast surgery, and looking at them under the microscope to see if there's any cancer cells. So if it did spread, it would go through the lymph nodes to go? Very likely it would go to the lymph nodes first. If you have um, breast cancer in one breast, are you likely to get it in the other? Does it spread that way? In the absence of a known gene mutation, your risk for having a contralateral breast cancer or breast cancer in the other breast is is rather low. Um, 0.5 to 1% per year or less than 10% over 10 years. So the risk is, is pretty low, although it does exist. So certainly you'd be monitored uh, if you have a personal history of breast cancer, you'd be monitored with mammograms and clinical exams. So in terms of options for treatment, you mentioned surgery and chemotherapy or hormone therapy. Um, radiation might come into play too, right? Yes. Um, so in terms of treatment options, uh, 
the, from a surgical standpoint, there are two main options to treat a breast tumor. One is mastectomy, which means removing the breast. And in this day and age, we have options to create new breasts with our plastic surgery colleagues. Uh, they can use either implants or tissue flaps to make a new breast for a patient. Um, the other option is what we call breast conservation therapy. This involves a lumpectomy, which is uh, removing the tumor plus a margin of healthy tissue around it, and then offering radiation for the remainder of the breast and chest wall. And so what we've uh, noted over many years at looking at both approaches is that the survival for both approaches is the same from a surgical standpoint. So a patient is not going to live longer by choosing, you know, a more extensive surgical plan. So they may not, the difference of survival may not, not be different, but does the um, recurrence of cancer change depending on? So the the recurrence rates are slightly different between the two when one looks at the statistical uh, figures, but clinically the rates are less than 10% from a surgical standpoint for both approaches. So even though statistically there is a slightly higher risk for recurrence with breast conservation therapy with the lumpectomy and radiation, it's not enough that clinically it would be relevant. Uh, so we tell patients they can usually choose either. But of course, as mentioned, we have to look at the features of the tumor and the size of the tumor as well. Uh, are men with breast cancer treated the same way? Uh, they, they have the same options? Uh, yes, they can be. Um, you know, because men don't have as, most men don't have as much breast tissue as most women, their, um, their opportunities for breast surgery usually involve a recommendation for mastectomy. Although, you know, to be honest, there's not a reason you couldn't do a lumpectomy and radiation for a male patient as well. Uh, but we just have to make sure that we would be able to have a conversation with them about the, what the cosmetic result would look like afterwards and so that, you know, we could guide them appropriately in terms of making a decision. So once a person has been diagnosed and treated for breast cancer, what does life look like after they're successfully, I don't want to use the word cured, but they could, I mean, they could be cured, yes. right? Uh, well, but what happens what after? Yes, our goal is to get them back to their, their baseline. They're back to their healthy, happy life. Uh, we want them, you know, after they've gone through treatments to be able to resume the activities and, you know, the things that they like in their life. We do uh, watch you a little bit more closely, of course, once you've had a diagnosis of breast cancer. In our practice, we see our patients in six months. And if they have uh, breast tissue intact, we would offer um, that first mammogram in six months' time. We use diagnostic mammograms for the first five years uh, to get a better look at the breast tissue uh, particularly the area where they may have had a surgery such as the lumpectomy. And so we would follow you um, at six months and then every year thereafter in our clinic doing breast exams, doing your mammograms, any additional imaging that was needed. Um, in that period of time, you would be finishing up, as you mentioned, any radiation therapy, any medical therapy as well. And so we would keep a close eye on you, um, certainly for that period of time. And thereafter, many times we do continue to follow our patients depending on what their clinical situation is. But we certainly want and expect that you will get back to the life that you want to be living. Well, thank you to Dr. Ranjana Sharma, the Chief of Breast Surgery and Medical Director of the Breast Cancer Program at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.